How can we help people in crisis if we ourselves are in crisis? Hi, I'm Mick Yanger with First Responders Bridge. It may shock you to learn that more first responders are dying by suicide than all line-of-duty deaths combined. This is unacceptable. First responders are willing to risk our own lives for anyone in need, but now they need your help. Please visit firstrespondersbridge.org, and by giving only $9.11 a month, you can help a first responder on their journey from hurting to healing. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Tom and Lynn Bolin, a firefighter couple who will share their relationship journey from hurting to healing. You're listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today on the episode, we have Tom and Lynn Bolin. Tom's been a firefighter for a, uh, a good bit, and welcome, guys. We're happy to have you both. Thank you. Um, Thank before you. we get started, go ahead and tell us about yourself. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, what you do. and. Uh, so my name is Thomas Bolin. I'm, uh, I grew up in Grove City, Ohio. Uh, mom and dad, two brothers. Um, dad died at 53 years old, so that was kind of a big thing in my life, and uh, which is a big year for me right now because I'm 53. If I make it to 54, I beat my dad. Love you, dad. Um, but yeah, it's a normal childhood, nothing nothing crazy. So, My name is Lynn Bolin. I grew up in Zanesville, Ohio. Um, my parents were both uh, teachers. My dad taught for Ohio University. Uh, they were married for almost 60 years until my dad passed away in 2021 of Parkinson's disease. I have an older brother and a younger brother and a younger sister. I went to Ohio University, and once I graduated there, I started working at um, Ohio BCI. A few years later, I met met Tommy, and we got married and had three sons, and I retired from BCI in 2020 after 32 years. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I guess I should say I'm 27 years in the service, so I'm a lieutenant right now. How long have you guys been married? So it's going on 29 years. October will be 29 years for us. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Tom, did you always want to be a firefighter? Yes. Uh, I didn't I didn't really know how to go about it back then. I had relatives in the fire service, and they were Columbus Fire, so it was more of a take the civil service test and go that route. I didn't know much about the townships or anything, so I took the test. Uh, they kicked me off because of my eyesight. I had bad eyesight back in, so my, my um, cousin was teaching for a vocational school, uh, fire fire classes and he kind of hit me up about it and I'm like yeah I'd love to do that because this is kind of like my dream I've always wanted to do it yeah so after we got married um she said if you're gonna do it do it now before we have kids so I ended up quitting my job and uh went back to went back to school bought a new truck people were like crazy like well how'd how'd you do that and I'm like well you know married me a sugar mama I guess (laughs) but anyhow yeah but then you know 27 years later so and I, you know, I always felt like I had a servant's heart. I just always wanted to, you know, help people and kind of my calling. And so you two uh, got married before you became a firefighter. Correct. And Lynn, you are already kind of in public service working at BCI. That's right. Wow. So both really uh, first responder family, truly. Yeah. That's what I was telling them earlier. Our kids had no chance, so, especially our first, <laughs> our first kids. Now, are any of your kids first responders? No. Or are they all? <clears throat> no, no. Two mechanical engineers and one CPA. So, Oh, good for them. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, Lynn, um, when did the changes start 
and Tom uh, start to pop up for you? When did you begin to start to notice like a difference um, in him and, and some of the behavior? Was that subtle for him or were there some drastic things that started to pop up for you? It was really subtle. Was it? Um, shortly after we got married was the first time I ever experienced a one of his bouts of depression. And that's when I learned that he had struggled with depression um, a little bit before that. Yeah. Um, but at that point, it seemed like it was because of dissatisfaction with his job. <clears throat> and then after he uh, became a fireman, things were a lot better for a long time. And then from that point, it was just little bits at a time. Just uh, he would withdrawal. Yeah, he was withdrawn and it, it just seemed like life changes. Drinking got out of control, anger. And so did you notice that in yourself, Tom, or No. No, I I was actually um I didn't think I had a problem, you know. I was codependent on everybody for my my uh happiness and I was blaming everybody, my wife, my kids, my job, uh, life in general uh for all my issues and I really didn't see it. Uh, early on, um, I, when I finally realized I needed help, um, you know, is when I started to, to realize like this, when we were going to talk about the, the stigma and stuff of it, I didn't feel like I said early on, I didn't feel like I had a problem, but then, uh, when I decided I was, I needed help, um, the stigma and your, my own pride, and my own ego kicked in. You didn't want to appear weak. You didn't want to appear, um, you know, you don't want to be labeled crazy. You don't want people to look at you different. So it kept me uh, a long time from from actually saying that I had I needed help um, through that through that time of my life. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, talking for me, talking to younger um, police officers and firefighters, I remember when I was sitting in their seats or in their shoes, and then I can remember going through. Um, my career and, and specific instances that, you know, to this day, I, I see something, I smell something, I hear mm. something. It reminds me of that exact moment that I, I can remember. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Mm. Maybe. Um, does that, do you experience that? Oh, a hundred percent. And she can even tell you, we'll drive by certain scenes. I'm like, Oh, that's where that person died. Or that's where I picked that kid up in the yard. And, you know, you'll have those little, uh, kind of like uh, flashbacks really take you back to that scene. And, um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's in back, you know, and like I said, when, when we first started, um, we never talked about it. You know, it was more of a, if you can't handle this job, you might want to find another career. And that was a terrible way of handling it, you know? So nowadays we have a lot more resources out there, which I love, uh, that we do have that. So it's been a journey. It's really been a journey. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we all have stories and, and our lives are mm. our journeys. And, you know, like you just said, I, I, I remember back, um, the first chief I worked for, um, you know, he kind of was a suck it up and move forward. Yeah. Um, so that, that stigma you talk about is real. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Tom, would you, would you say that that stigma is still pretty powerful throughout or do you, have you noticed throughout? Cause I know you said before it really held you back from mm-hmm. talking about, is that still pretty prominent or do you notice a difference there? I think it's slowly changing. I do. Um, I still think it's out there. I still think there's a small percentage of people that keep this stigma strong, honestly. 
there's, a, like I said earlier, there's a lot more resources out there. But um, I, th- I think a big part of it, too, is just our, our own pride and our own ego that's mm-hmm. keeping us from really reaching out and getting that help that we w- that we need, you know. You know, nobody wants to appear weak, you know, especially us as men. You know, we don't want to appear weak. We don't want to let anybody down. That's right. And uh, so you, you tend to really push that stuff down and suppress it. My guys had no idea I was struggling until I came to them that day. And, you know, we talk about the stigma. And when I came to them that day, I asked my chief, I said, before you put me off on 30 days off, I said, well, you give me the opportunity to go tell my, my guys first because, you know, fire service, police, they put you off on the calendar for 30 days. If you don't tell them what you're – what you're what you're going through then somebody's gonna make their mind up or somebody's gonna start some rumors you know so mm. so i went in and talked to my guys and i said hey fellas i just want you guys to know i'm struggling pretty bad and i'm my drinking's out of control my depression anxiety's out of control and wow. i'm uh i'm heading to baltimore maryland to the ifs center of excellence for 30 days and honestly some some amazing happened in that moment um one of the guys looked at me and said hey boss we love you go get the help you need uh, the other, the other four, four or five guys came up to me and they hugged me and said, we love you. Get back to us. We got your back. And in that moment, I wasn't their boss. I was their fellow brother who was struggling and they knew it. And I truly believe that that's how most interactions would go nowadays. I just really believe a small percentage of, of, uh, people are keeping the stigma strong, but it's very powerful. It's that stigma and your own pride to you is very powerful. So. And it's, it's pride. It's like pride. Said. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Len, when you started, um, noticing some of this was the communication there did you two talk about this i knew about the runs uh there were some runs that he would come home and i would know about him one of them i actually got called to the firehouse uh one of his very early early time at the in the fire service i got called to the firehouse because it was a particularly bad run um so he would talk about that kind of stuff and i would knew i would know that he would be triggered by certain smells or sights or locations but I don't think either one of us knew that the other things were as a result of that. Um, his temper was explosive. Uh, he would have his, his reactions to certain situations were disproportionate to whatever was happening. Mm. He would have really high highs and really low lows. I even told him one time, I thought, maybe you're bipolar, like, because it was that extreme. And, uh, he would be mad all the time and irritable. And I don't think either one of us understood that those things were a result of the trauma he faced at work because there was always some relationship issue or family issue or something that we could blame it on at the time. Yeah. It was easy for me to blame it on other stuff, you know, other than looking inside me and saying I was the issue. And that's the thing. It wasn't just it wasn't just the traumas. The traumas had a big big part of it, but it was the years, it was 25 years of chronic stress, um, you know, chronic trauma exposure, um, unresolved traumas, and honestly, sleep deprivation and insomnia that just finally took its toll. Uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a process, you know, um, we, we as firefighters and police, we take on a whole new animal when we join the public service. Not only do we deal with the normal stresses of life family kids money whatever that might look like but we also deal with these you know like i said the chronic stress the high stress situations the trauma the sleep deprivation so sure absolutely Mm -hmm. and tom i know you mentioned you went to that 30-day program Mm -hmm. and so was that a big game changer for you as as far as like your communication and realizing the things that were getting to you and Mm -hmm. what what really started to make a game change in your in your marriage and in in you yourself and Mm -hmm. what was the big 
moment, you know, of that really started to make a difference for you? So on, yeah, the Maryland, the 30 days I had to disconnect. Uh, I had to go extreme back in cause I'd let that 25 years catch up to me. Um, and when I got there, they, you know, they take everything from me. You totally disconnect from everybody, your phone, your social media, your family, your friends, everybody. And honestly, one of the biggest parts I got out of it, not only was the classes, the classes taught me why I was doing some of the things I was doing and they gave me the tools there to continually get better. But one of the biggest things I got there, honestly, was just being around people, um, who were going through the exact same things I was going through. That peer-to-peer thing is powerful. It really is. And uh, it was just sitting around the fire pit in the evening after dinner and stuff. And sometimes with 20 to 40 of my, you know, my brothers and sisters talking about our issues and realizing I wasn't alone, realizing I wasn't going crazy because I seriously thought I was going crazy. And I felt like I was on this island for so long by myself. So that was huge for me. Sure. Hmm. And that that had to be pretty powerful to be able to break those walls down, right? Because, again, being in that stigma— you're just trained and I'm not saying a word to anybody right. I'll deal with it. So being able to let your guard down yeah. and just talk about that had yeah. to be really cool. It was, uh, you know, vulnerability is not weakness. Um, mm. a lot of people think it is, but honestly, when I started to be vulnerable and talk about my issues is when the real healing started for me. And, uh, I still, I still have a, uh, text, uh, train with guys from Maryland all around the country, uh, that I still talk to Like we'll be laying in bed and I'll get these texts, you know, and almost every night. And we still stay in contact and keep each other, you know, on track. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's cool. You know, you said you said it. We're not alone. Right. But sometimes we get so much in those silos um, that we think, hey, I'm the only person that's experiencing mm. this. Yeah. So that's when you go to some place uh, like Maryland. I mean, you realize and it's not just it's not just Ohio. It's not just the town I live in, it's anywhere in the country. Yeah. Big or small. Mm. We all experiencing similar things. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's awesome now that we have all these different programs like First Responders Bridge, Ohio Assist, Maryland. You know, there's so many of them out there now um, that people can go to. You know, sometimes you don't need that 30 days. If you catch it early enough, they could go to these different programs for a like weekend and just understand it's okay. You know, we just need this cultural change when it comes to this stuff. And I think we're moving in that direction. And I hope, I hope we're going to change this needle, honestly. Yeah. Tom, let me ask you, because you, you attended a bridge retreat. So mm. what, what was that like for you? What did you get out of it? What was the experience like for you? Uh, it was awesome. Honestly, it's kind of the same thing, being around other people, like-minded people who have been through the same experiences and just, you know, talking with them. Like I said, I... Every time I go to one of these, like I went to assist, I went to first responders bridge, you know, I learned something new. And, um, it's like I said, that peer to peer thing is just, I think it's so important to be around people who understand, you know, when I, when I first started having an issue, uh, back when I was 40, I had a really bad injury where I tore my Achilles tendon. And I think she started noticing back then that my mental health was, was kind of getting bad. And so I went to EAP. That's what everybody did. Went to EAP. Really nice people, um, but they didn't understand the world that we as public servants live in. And so I went to four different ones, and I really got nothing out of it. Not, uh, it wasn't until I went to somebody who deals with police, fire, military, that kind of thing, that um, I really got the help I needed. So, Were you able to just um, – so you couldn't find that through EAP, but were you able to find one clinician – the first time you tried and, and no, yeah. 
No, like I said, there was, I went to four different clinicians uh-huh. and, you know, I, like, like I said a little bit ago, I had so much stuff packed in my brain 25 years that you go there and you, you talk for an hour and then the, you come back the next week and the first half hour is catching up on the week before. And then you got 30 minutes mm. of talking about new stuff. And again, they didn't, they didn't really understand the world we live in. But so they also, you also went to them thinking that our issues were family yeah. and marriage. So that's what they were more focused on. They weren't really focused on the trauma because I don't think any of us understood that his, you know, dissatisfaction or anger right. towards the family, kids, home, all that stuff was because of what he experienced at work. And I don't think they were bad people at all. I think they had the right intentions. It's just I went in there, like she said, I went in there with a different idea of why my problem, why I had my problems, and that wasn't it. You know, until I looked into myself and said, oh, wait a minute, I'm the problem. You know, I was the common denominator and all thing. So that's when that's when I finally started getting help. So. And I, I think that's really important. Um, some of us in first responder world go to one clinician trying to uh, get help or find some relief, and that person is not the person. And we we say, see, I wasn't meant to go to a clinician. Mm. clinician. They don't understand me, or we don't get along. or um, And so um, credit to you for yeah. going to four that's pretty impressive. Well, credit to her. She she's my rock. She kept pushing me, and honestly, if it wasn't for her, I would, I don't think I'd be here right now. Honestly, so between that and Marilyn, I'm pretty sure that's what saved my life. So that's great. That's great. Lynn, what advice would you give to uh, to first responder spouses um, out there? You know, whether it be with dealing with communication issues, whether it be with noticing those changes, um, what advice would you give to other first responder families and spouses out there? I think it would be helpful to have um, like a friend that's also the spouse of a first responder so you can bounce things off each other. And it's not always possible. I mean, you know, proximity-wise, kids-wise and stuff. Totally. But uh, because there's groups out there like Wives on Fire, stuff like that, but I don't know them. I didn't feel comfortable talking to people that I didn't know. Um, maybe I should have, but I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of spouses out there in the same boat I was. Sure. And I just didn't know where to turn. And so much has changed since back then. Ohio Assist, we went to that because he wanted to speak with for them. That was amazing because they focused on the on the families as well, the support people. Um, just look into what resources are available. Know that they're not alone and don't give up. Absolutely. That's awesome. Hmm. And Tom, what about you? What would you say for other first responders out there who might be listening? Kind of the same thing. Just just know you're not alone. Um, I think that was the biggest thing. Just know you're not alone. Uh, know there's resources out there. Find somebody you trust and, um, you know, just learn learn that it's it's okay to not be okay. Honestly, that's that's the, you hear that a lot, and I know it gets beat up a lot, but it's the truth. You know, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to reach out. It's a normal response to abnormal situations that we go through. And uh, we need to learn to um, we need to learn to watch out for each other. Uh, we need to learn. I mean, I was throwing up all kind of red flags back then, but nobody was really picking them up. And we need to watch out for those changes in behaviors in in people and and be have some, have things in place to be able to talk to them and address that when it happens. Sometimes just people just want to be listened to and just to be understood and know they're not alone. So just don't give up. 
Just don't give up. If you go to one clinician, it don't work. Go to another one. If you go to Maryland, it don't work. Go to go to something else. Go to Saul. Go to First Responders Bridge. Go to Assist. Find something that works for you, and um, just know you're not alone. Absolutely. And Tom, I know that uh, you mentioned a little bit that you share your experiences with others mm-hmm. and and what you've been through and the lessons you've learned. How do you um, how do you get to that place personally to share? everything that you've experienced? It's been a lot of healing. Um, it's been a journey, a process. And, uh, but honestly, this whole thing with me, I've been going out and lecturing with, uh, fire departments. I, I lectured to some police departments and I'm trying to get ahead of it in the schools, trying to get out to the, I've been to several different fire schools and medic schools, just trying to have this cultural change when it comes to mental health. And, um, it's given me, it's given me all new purpose, honestly. I got a therapy dog too that I take around with me, who's awesome, and uh, Finny. He's he's my buddy. But um, it's it's really just like I said I, back in when I was going through a lot of my issues, I had just lost all purpose and I had no goals. I had no, you know, I had no um, confidence in anything. And this is just giving me a whole new outlook on life, and it's given me a lot new, uh, a whole new purpose in life for me. And it's everybody's in this world for a purpose. You got to find that purpose and. You know, don't tell nobody, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it because you can do it. You just got to put your mind to it. So make your mess your message. Make your mess your message. I love that. I love that. Uh, I like that. I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's good stuff. Well, mm-hmm. Thank you both so much, Tom and Lynn, uh, for taking the time to come speak with us today. Um, that's it for us for this episode. Before we close, I do want to go through our praise of the day. Um, every week, as you know, we, we look at a different praise of the day and uh, see how we can give back to those who. Uh, or into our community. So this one is out of Lafayette, Indiana. It was a 25-year-old pizza delivery boy who was making a route, and he saw a house on fire. Um, He decided to run in and rescued four children that were inside of the house, and one of the kids told him that there was another kid inside. So he ran back into the house and went in and saved a uh, six-year-old girl and jumped out the window to, uh, to get that girl to safety. Um, kid just happened to be driving by with his pizza route and, uh, saved five lives there. So that was a, a big shout out to him. And that's, uh, that's really cool. But, um, that's all, that's all we have for this episode. So Tom and Lynn, thank you so much for coming and coming and sharing your story with us. And, uh, we will see you guys next time on first responders bridge podcast. Thanks guys. Take care. Thank you.